He is for all mankind. We are each given a gift. of kings, born in the most humble of places. God made into flesh. Gift of myrrh to honor the sacrifice.
All right, well, welcome everybody to the well at STSA. Happy to see so many faces here today. Let me be the first to wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, we here are preparing for Christmas ourselves here. We have, best thing I will say about being Orthodox is you get two Christmases, all right? So we celebrate on the 25th with uh, hugs and kisses and family, but we also celebrate our Christmas on uh, January 7th as well. So well, whether you celebrate on the 25th or the 7th, Merry Christmas to you in advance. We're talking about the incarnation here in this series when our Lord Jesus Christ, as you saw in the clip right there, the most important event that ever happened of all time when God took flesh and became man. Before we talk about that event, though, let's go back to our own lives. And let me start by asking you a question. What is the most important event that you remember happening in your life? Not personal meaning like the most significant event. Those events that happen where you remember exactly where you were when you found out that. Those kind of events. For me, there's two of them that stick out from my childhood. One of them was January 1986. I was in fourth grade, just a young lad in Miss Dowling's uh, fourth grade class over at Our Lady Good Counsel Catholic School. January 1986, when we heard over the loudspeaker some big news that had happened. What happened in January 1986? That was when the spaceship Challenger, okay, the one, okay, with the lady, and that it went. I still remember exactly where I was in the class. The other one that you might think is funny, but for me, I can, I can draw a picture like it was yesterday. November 7th, 1991. Anyone know what happened? November 7th, 1991? I draw the picture. I'm outside. I'm playing basketball. Me and my brother against the other two guys. And then one of the guy's mom came out and told us on November 7th, 1991, that Magic Johnson had contracted HIV. Somehow those two events stick out for me. Yeah, it was a big deal back then. Back then, uh, HIV was like a death sentence, and magic was, it was the magic man, okay? How about if you go back, I found a list um, on Yahoo News or something like that from earlier in the year, the past 50 years, top five news events. Y'all want to guess? Well, let's go in order, okay? First one, number five, counting down, okay? was the election of President Barack Obama, the first African-American president. All right, number five event, newsworthy event of the past 50 years. Number four was relating to another president that happened 50 years ago, almost exactly, which is John F. Kennedy assassinated. Okay, for, yeah, I mean, for most of us, we don't know, but a president being assassinated, like, that's got to be a big deal. All right. The next event, number three on the list, was those who, in the 80s, was a very important event that happened in Europe. It was a big worldwide event, which was the, very good, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Number two is not a surprise to anybody, which is 9-11. Anyone want to guess what the number one event is? Very good. A man walking on the moon was the number one newsworthy event of the past 50 years. Very good. That's impressive. Now, for you in your 20s who don't understand anything I just talked about, later on in the list there was the invention of the iPhone. That was later on, and Facebook was somewhere down near the bottom of the list as well. All right, but for those who are a little bit older, remember some of these events, and I'll be honest, I wasn't there when the first man walked on the moon, but they said that this was the number one most important event, newsworthy event of the past 50 years. Why? <clears throat> Why? Is this bigger than 9-11? Why is this bigger than 9-11? Like 9-11, that was a catastrophe and so many people died. But why did this one event like, it's hard for us to understand because we didn't live through it. But at the time, a man walking on the moon 
Like you had something that represented all of humanity. All of humanity was down here. And then an event took place which lifted all of humanity up to a new plane that humanity could never reach. So even whether it was American or Russian or German or a monkey or a man, it doesn't matter what it was. It was something down here entering something up there. Big news affected the whole wide world. Well, if that's big news, I got bigger news for you. <clears throat> the first Christmas was even bigger news. Because the first Christmas, man on the moon was man walked on the moon. Christmas was God walked on the earth. Was, or crawled, okay, but eventually started walking, or, or lived on the earth. God who cannot be contained in heaven and earth like God, the one who calls all things into beings, the creator of everything, the one who just speaks and stuff happens, came down and was a little itsy-bitsy tiny little baby in a little city called Bethlehem. At the time, many people didn't understand it. To be honest, even to this day, a lot of people still don't get it, that that little baby wasn't just a little baby. That little baby was the most special little baby ever. St. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1 about that little baby. He says, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. The creator, the higher power, with all the stuff that people want to say, instead of they want to say God, the image of God came down, and that's Jesus. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created that are in the heaven, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Unfathomable that God could become man. Now, let me say something to you as you're sitting here listening to me. I discovered, okay, so we know about Jesus, that he is fully divine and fully man. So 100% God, 100% man. And here's what I discovered through the course of my life, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is that when you first come to Christ, when you first begin your relationship with God, you struggle with that this man was God. That's a the difficult concept that he was a normal man, but he was God. The longer you go in your relationship with God, you struggle to understand the exact opposite, that this, that this God was actually a man. In the beginning, people struggle to accept his divinity. But the longer you are a Christian, the more likely you are to struggle to accept his humanity. And you want to say, God, 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 but you struggle. We struggle to understand that that same God who inhabits the universe and who calls in things into being and moves mountains and creates oceans. That same God had skin and bones like me and you. That same God had hair like me and you. That same God had, had, had fingernails that had dirt underneath him and he had to clip his fingernails. And that same God had, had morning breath when he didn't brush his teeth. And that same God, when he stubbed his toe, it would swell up. And that same God, when he skinned his elbow, it would bleed real blood. Now, maybe the stuff that he said when he skinned his elbow would be different. The stuff that came out of his mouth was different, but the stuff that came out of his elbow was the same stuff. We have this image sometimes of this, like, superhuman Christ walking on earth with music playing as he walked down the street. And he just, everywhere he went, like, he was like some RoboCop kind of a human. Uh-uh. Bible says to us, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 17, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood meaning us, as much as we have flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. We have flesh, he had flesh. We have blood, he has blood. We bleed, he bleeds. We um, uh, get uh, uh, tired, he gets tired. We get hungry, he gets hungry. In all things, he had to be made 
like his brethren. 100% man, 100% God. There's a, y'all know that famous song, Mary, Did You Know? Y'all know that song, okay? It's a very nice song. And there's a line in it where it says, um, like, Mary, did you know something, 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 that when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. That when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face, like, it's unfathomable, but stuff, it doesn't even make sense. Like, how can you kiss the face of God? But that's the mystery of who Jesus is. Not who he was, who he is. Fully man and fully God. You ask me, who cares? Why does this matter? Well, I'm going to tell you today why it matters. We're here in a series called All Ye Faithful, which we just started last week, where we're looking at the Christmas story, but we're looking at it from the perspective of four of the characters in it. Last week, we started with Joseph, the father of our Lord and the husband of Mary. And we saw how Joseph was a quiet man, an old man, and he had a plan for his life, which is just to go easygoing. And we saw how God messed up that plan. But remind me, when we saw that God messed up a plan, remember that we saw that God's plan is always bigger than our plan, that it's usually harder than our plan, but that it is infinitely better than our plan. We saw that last week with Joseph. This week we're going to look at little baby Jesus, who from the day he entered into the world was the most special little child ever because he wasn't an ordinary child. He was the God-man child. This God who took flesh didn't come into the world with a lot of fanfare. He didn't come with an entourage. He didn't come in, in exquisite glory. He came like a tiny, just the same way. Me and you come into the world, came into the world. Actually, he came in in a worse. We came through a stinky manger with animals all around. <clears throat> Today, we're going to look at the incarnation from the perspective of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to see what was Jesus thinking and doing when he decided to leave that, that glory of heaven, easy life, angels and arch, easy going, and come down and be born in a, uh, in a manger, sweaty, stinky, stanky stuff all around. What, what he was thinking as he was undergoing this incarnation. I say there was two purposes in why Jesus came down. Why the word of God who existed before all ages said, I need to go down there to earth. Two reasons. Number one, he came to show us what God is like. He came to show us or reveal to us what God is like. <clears throat> True story. The year was, um, I don't know what the year was. I was probably sometime in my college years, 96, 97, something like that. All right. And we were in Egypt. My family was in Egypt. And we were there, and we were tourists, and we were with my uncle, all right, who lives there. And my uncle was, like, driving us around, like, taking us from wherever to wherever. Now, if you've been to Egypt, all right, uh, driving in Egypt is like uh, kind of running your head into a wall, okay, just repeatedly. And then you just kind of end up wherever it is you're supposed to be. That's what driving there is like. Like, New York City times, like, a bazillion. That's the way it is in Egypt, okay? There are no streets. There are no directions. I can't imagine there's a GPS there. There may be, but, like, when we were there, there was, there was none of that stuff. If you didn't know where you were going, the way that you found out is you would, you ask. Okay? So we're sitting there in the car, and I remember it. And, you know, we're driving, and my uncle rolled down the window and says, Hey, uh, buddy, okay, 
I need to know how to get to wherever. And the guy's like, all right, well, you need to go down this street, and you're going to see, you know, a corner, and then turn right at the corner, and you're going to pass, like, this orange stand. Okay, you get to the orange stand and turn left, all right? And he gave us all these, like, intricate directions. You got to talk for, like, five, ten minutes. And I'm like, wow, okay, you know, whatever. Uncle says thank you, rolls up his window, drives ten feet, rolls down his window again, and asks somebody, how do you get there? And I didn't get this. So I asked my uncle later. And the second guy gave a completely different direction than the first guy. So I'm like, why, why did you? He's like, no, the first guy had no idea what he was talking about. I'm like, how'd you know? He's like, we just know. I'm telling you, the guy who doesn't know how to go and can't say, I don't know, he has to make it up, I promise you, that's the world that we live in when it comes to God. No one will tell you, I don't know God. No one will tell you that. What they'll tell you, say, hey, tell me about God. All right, well, so here's the thing about God. You can't trust him. He'll let you down when you need him the most. He'll let you down. And we need to have the discernment to say, okay, thank you. Roll up the window and then roll down to the next guy. Hey, tell me about God. Oh, God? Oh, uh, God is very powerful and don't cross his path? He'll smitest you down. And everybody out there is an expert on God, just like in Egypt with directions. We as humanity, we don't like to admit we don't know stuff. So what's easier is we just make stuff up. And I'm telling you, I sit with person after person who comes in and tells me all these things about God. Like I said, that God is unreasonable. He asks too much. A God is unreliable. He lets you down when you need him the most. A God doesn't care because he will ignore you. And sometimes I want to say, excuse me, how, you even know what you're looking for when it comes to God? Like, you, do you know? You say he ignores you. Do you even know what you're looking for? Because I think he can't, he's screaming loud and clear, trying to get your attention, but you don't know what you're looking for. And you say that he's unreasonable. Well, I think you're the one who's selfish, and you ain't looking for a reasonable answer. You're looking for a selfish answer. We make stuff up about God. So God said, enough. I need to go down myself and show them who I am. John chapter 14, verse 7 and 9, Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and I've seen him. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, I'm coming to reveal the truth. A lot of people out there will make up stuff about my Father. And they will say stuff about him that just ain't true. And it's coming from their personal bias or their ignorance or their inability to say, I don't know. Well, listen to me. I'm coming to speak the truth. Three things that I want to show you about God, Jesus said. Number one, or A, God cares. Jesus showed us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God cares. God cares, God cares, God cares. Don't let anybody tell you God doesn't care. God cares more than you can possibly imagine. Just this past week, <clears throat> parents, do you know what it's like? I shouldn't even say parents. People, everybody. Do you know what it's like to love someone so much and they just don't get it? And they feel like you don't love them? Parents, this is our life. Just this past week, each kid, we had a sickness situation. One needed doctor, one needed medicine. And they are kicking and screaming, I don't want to go to the doctor, and I don't want the medicine, and you hate me, and daddy, you said you'd never. And it hurts you when you love someone so much, and you're trying to help them, and you're trying to care for them, but they just can't see it. The way we are with our kids when they refuse to go to the doctor or the dentist, when they refuse to take the medicine, God times a bazillion. I care about you so much. But you just don't get it. But that doesn't mean that I don't care. Jesus came to show us 
that he cares. From the very, very beginning, <clears throat> you could see the care of God for his creation. Like, let's put ourselves in the proper context. We are not equal to God. We are the creature of God. We are the creation. We are what he formed and created with his hands. We are not at his level. He has the right to make us call him sir. What does he tell us to call him instead? Call me daddy. Don't call me sir. You should call me sir, but I care about you. Call me daddy. He even said to his disciples, Jesus said, he said, no longer do I call you servants. I have called you friends because I don't keep any secrets from you. If you're a servant, I stand here. I yell at you. If you're a friend, I come down to you. I'm a little baby. And I sit next to you in, in social studies class. And I play baseball with you on the field. And then I go hang out in your marketplaces. And then I touch your lepers. And then I care for your sick. And I preach in your synagogue. And eventually I climb this mountain carrying a cross that actually you should carry. And I'm carrying it for you. Because I care about you that much. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, people of God were in slavery to the bad guy, to Egypt, Pharaoh. And when they were there in slavery, they did what? They cried to God. And they said, God forgot us. God doesn't care about us. God has left us down here to suffer. Some of the stuff that you may hear in your own personal prayer sometime, right? God has left us. God doesn't hear us. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, and he says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down. This is a foreshadowing of the incarnation, by the way. What happened in Egypt, exactly what Jesus did when he took flesh as a baby. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is exactly what Jesus did when he came and took flesh. Humanity, I hear your cry. I'm coming. At the right time, I'm coming. And I'm coming, like it says there, I'm come down to you to deliver you and to bring you up to a good place. Does God care? Yes. Answer for me. Does God care? Yes. Say it again. Does God care? Yes, the most fundamental question of all humanity is this question, I believe. Because if you don't know that God cares, if, if my kids don't trust that daddy cares about them, then daddy says, take medicine, why am I listening to that guy? Daddy says, go to sleep, I don't want to go to sleep, I want to stay up. Daddy says, eat your vegetables, why listen to daddy? If you don't trust that God cares, you're always going to be insecure in life. You're never going to have stable footing to stand on. Because you're always, you're never going to know. Is God looking out for me? Am I by myself? Do I have to do this by myself? Do I have to figure it out? Well, my, my friend says this, but the TV says this, but Oprah says this. Like, what do I need to do? Well, God says this, but how do I know that God cares about me? If you don't, if you don't settle this, that God cares about me and cares about me more than I can comprehend, you're always going to be insecure. You're always going to second guess. You're always going to have anxiety, fear, worry, whatever it is. You're never going to be able to move forward confidently in life until you settle this question. And when you want, wonder, does God care? I can tell you I care with my words, or I can show you I care with my action. And when you see little baby Jesus down in that manger, you see with your eyes that God cares. Because if he didn't care, he wouldn't be down there. If he didn't care about me, he wouldn't be sleeping in a manger. If he didn't care about me, he wouldn't live on this filthy planet with filthy human beings 
compared to his palace in heaven. If he didn't care, like don't listen to him tell you he cares. See him tell you that he cares when you see the incarnation. I try to, I'll give you a dumb example. Okay, a dumb example. This is a dumb example. This is the example I kind of always had in my head of what, had in my head of what the incarnation is like. Like what does it mean that God came down? Imagine that you have an ant farm. Okay, a little thing. I never had an ant farm, but I imagine like a little aquarium kind of a thing. Okay, and there's little ants in there. And then all of a sudden, you peek down, and you see you have 10,000 ants. And you see one dumb little ant, one dumb little ant in the corner with a broken leg. So you're like, oh no, the ant, broken leg. And you try to scream up there, somebody help the ant. And then you throw a Band-Aid down. And the Band-Aid, they don't get it. And you throw little mini crutches down, whatever, okay? You throw stuff down there, and they're not getting it. Because they're ants. They can't comprehend what I'm saying. So I, remember uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Okay, that was a movie when I was growing up. That, again, this is my third grade. This is how in third grade I, I comprehended the incarnation of Christ and stuck with me ever since. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was where the Rick Moranis guy, and he shrunk himself. So you shrink yourself down, but you can't shrink yourself down to a human. Because if you go down as a human and you go down there, what's going to happen to all the ants? They're going to run away because you're a human. So you can't go down as a human. So what do you do? You go down as an ant. You become an ant. And you go to the little guy and you try to fix him up. Now all the other ants rally against you. And they say, let's get the new guy. Now let's, let's, get, let's crucify the new guy. And you down there, and all you need to do is snap your fingers. All you need to do is blink your eye and you go back to big giant man and you stomp out ants. And you stomp them out with joy. Because any human being, all of us human beings, would look and say, it's a dumb little ant who cares about the little ant. Step on them like we chase them around to step on them when we find them. But you say, I love that ant. That's exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus came down for ant kind. All of ant kind became an ant. And you say, that's a silly example. I promise you, the difference between me and an ant is nothing compared between God and us. It ain't even close. Between me and an ant? Maybe. Between God and us? It ain't. Like my example is silly. If you go up to heaven and say that little example, God would say, eh, that captures about 10% of it. Because me and an ant inhabit the same world. God and us don't inhabit the same. He lives in a place called eternity. We live in a place called time. Different worlds. Does God care? Yes, he cares. He cares about where I live. He cares about where I'm going to spend eternity. And because he cares about big things, he also cares about little things. Does he care if I got a stuffed up nose? Yes, he cares. Does he care if I'm late on my car payments? Yes, he cares. Does he care if I got a court date on Tuesday? Yes, he cares. Does he care if my kid won't listen to me? Does he care if, if my, my boss is giving me a hard time? Is there anything that God doesn't care about? Absolutely not. Bible tells us this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says that we cast all our care upon him, for he cares for us. Man, he cares about the number of hairs on my head, no matter how few they may be, and declining. He cares about every tear that I've cried. The Bible says that he captures them all in his bottle. Does he care? Man, absolutely he cares. Without a shadow of a doubt, he cares. Second thing that we learned about God from Jesus. He cares, and he's close. Because again, another Thing that the dumb people will tell you is God is far away God. Wasn't there, what's her name? 
uh, Bette Midler. What's that? Uh, God is watching us from a distance. Remember that song? Okay. I don't know what her point was in it, but she's wrong. God is not at a distance. God is not watching us from a distance. God came as close as close could be. Acts chapter 17, verse 27. It says that God did this, become, becoming flesh. God did this so that they, us, should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, although he is not far from each one of us. Christmas is God being close and being as unintimidating as possible as a baby. He didn't come down as a giant. He didn't come as a king. He didn't come as ruler. He didn't come as the world's strongest man competition people. He came as a little baby to be as close as he possibly could. You know who messed us up <clears throat> in this regard? A lot of us, and thankfully I'm not one of them, but a lot of us, our own fathers messed us up here. Because we learned from our dads that our dads, our mom takes care of us, and our dads just take out the trash on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Our dads are distant. Our dads are absent. Our dads do stuff at work, and they just kind of come in, stomp in, grab a meal, tell the kids to do whatever, and they're absent. So we've learned dads aren't really that close. Moms kind of do stuff. Dads are kind of absent. I remember, again, back when I was growing up, I don't know what the TV shows are like now, but the majority of TV shows when I was growing up, with the exception of one, which was the Cosby show, every show had a bad dad. You had married with children, crazy dad. You had The Simpsons, yeah, I mean, it was a good show, but the dad wasn't the most involved. Like, most of the shows portrayed the dad as being a bumbling idiot who didn't know anything that's going on with his kids' lives. And we portrayed the same thing to our Heavenly Father. But that is not our Father. Our Father is close. Our Father came down and took flesh to be close to us. I remember every year when we go to uh, the kids' back-to-school night. Like, you go to back-to-school night, and, and, and what do they do? They make you sit in the kids' chair, right? Like, and, and you sit in a little chair, and they have you try to stick your knees under there, and you go through the kids. You want to see it from the kids' perspective. And every year, without a shadow of a doubt, there's like that one dad who just like can't fit or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? He's like, bring me the other one. You know what I mean? Like, he can't fit in the little chair, and he's complaining the whole time, and he can't fit in it. God came and fit in our little chair. He could have said, just bring me the big chair. Ah, I can't go down here. I have my back. He could have said, I'm not going to go down there and, and, and be human. Yeah, human. Give me a supercharged body. Give me one with the, the biceps and the guns. Give me one with, with that, that, that never gets sick. Give me the hairline that never recedes. Give me the, 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 the smile that's always shining. He could have done that. Could have come down as some supercharged human, but he didn't. He said, that's where you sit? Okay, let me sit there. You say, God, but it's not going to fit for you. It's uncomfortable. He says, okay. I want to be close to my kid. I love this verse, Hebrews 4.15. You struggle to believe that God is close? Hebrews 4.15 is your verse. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know what I love about this verse? Jesus came close. What did he come close to? In what area was he closest to us? In our strengths? In our weakness. You're poor? I was poor. You're rejected? I was rejected by everyone. Even my own disciples flee. You were hated? People gave you a hard time at the office? You should have heard the stuff they made up about me. 
He came down and connected with us, not in our strength, but in our weakness. If you're poor, if you're lonely, if you're sad, if you're rejected, if you're alone, Jesus is right with you. If you got everything going for you, you might struggle to relate to Jesus. You'll struggle. You got everything going, if your life is perfect, you and Jesus have a lot, they won't have a lot in common. Be hard for you to relate. You know who he can relate with? You and your weakness. <clears throat> God came close. Third thing we learned about God in the incarnation. Not just that he cares, not just that he's close, but God is ever so able. God is able. When I say able, what I mean is, who cares if he's next to me and he cares about me, but he can do nothing to help me in my situation? Who cares? Who cares if he loves me, but he's weak and he's unable? We have a father who not just loves us, and not just is close to us, but is able to do anything and we can imagine. I'm bringing this verse. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. This was the verse that the archangel Gabriel said to Virgin Mary nine months before Jesus was born, came to her, and he said, you are going to bear a child. And he's going to be a very special child. And she raised her hand and said, okay, but I'm not, I'm not married. I'm a virgin. And I ain't no rocket scientist, but I've been in biology class, and, and that's not how it works. Virgin, baby, don't go together. The angel said to her, with God, nothing will be impossible. You sit there, and you say, okay, God cares. What's he going to do? They say, okay, God is close, and God cares about my, my, my problems, my weakness, my suffering. What's God going to do? God couldn't possibly, and then you fill in the blank. And the angel says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Luke 137, that's a good verse to memorize. You need some extra strength for the week, you memorize Luke 137. For with God, nothing will be impossible. But God couldn't possibly, for with God, nothing will be impossible. He's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And because he is the combination of those two, then whatever situation it may be, God is able. Israelites, we're enslaved. Yeah, God hears us, but what God going to do? Hey, with God, nothing will be impossible. Just watch what God's going to do. Y'all heard of ten plagues? I'll show you some ten plagues. Blind people. Yeah, God cares, but I mean, what's God going to do? Look, when God, who cares and who is close and who is able, blind people see, slaves are freed, sick are healed, dead are raised, virgins have babies. Because God is able, and there's nothing that's impossible for our God. Jesus came to show us what God is like. But Jesus didn't come to just show us what God is like. And if you only stop at learning about who God is from Jesus, then you're missing 50% of the equation. Because he didn't just come to show us who God is. He also came to show us who we are and what we're supposed to look like. In that he was fully God and fully man. He revealed the fullness of God but he also revealed the fullness of man and what me and you are supposed to look like in our life <clears throat> here on this earth. I spoke about this earlier today during the liturgy, and I was saying about how too often we say that God came for our salvation. 
which is 100% true. But the key is defining what does salvation mean. We've watered down the term salvation to mean I go to heaven after I die. Salvation equals I go to heaven after I die. That is not in any way what the word salvation means. John 10.10, Jesus said, I didn't come for death. I've come that they may have life. And they may have it more abundantly. The word salvation is a word that in the Greek, it's a word sotireia, which means conquering, victorious, defeat over our enemies. That's what it means. It means conquering, victorious, or defeat over our enemies. So when we say he came for our salvation, we don't just mean that he came so that we could, after we die, go to heaven. It's watering it down. What we say is that when Jesus came for us men and for our salvation, he came to give us victory over the sin which is in the world, and sin eventually leads to death, so he gives us victory over the sin which eventually will take us for, for death and eternity, but he came to give us victory over that sin here in this world. He came to heal us of our sicknesses. He came to show us how life on this earth is supposed to look like the right way. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were living the right way. But through sin that entered into the world, they lost the picture of the right way. The, you look out these windows right here. This is not the way life is supposed to be lived. This is not how we're supposed to live. The sicknesses, the weaknesses, the sinfulness, the, the selfishness, all the problems that you experience, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's all a result of sin. I'll show you this nice verse right here. Wisdom chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. It says, God created the human being for incorruptibility and an image of his own eternity, but by the envy of the devil, death entered into the world. All the stuff that you see outside today is a result of sin. People losing their temper. People drinking and driving. People fighting and killing. People hating and discriminating. Prejudice. All that stuff. Man, that's not how we were meant to live. In the book, we're reading a book together as a church family. It's called On the Incarnation. For those who have been reading it, there's a nice statement in it. It said, the human being made rational and in the image of God was now disappearing and the work made by God was being obliterated. Talking about why God came and took flesh. Because God looked at his creation that he created. And he saw it slowly, 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 slowly deteriorating. Sin was killing it. Sin was killing man. And man, God was looking, couldn't even recognize it. That's why it says, the work made by God was being obliterated. It was ruined. My masterpiece, someone bah, threw up on my masterpiece. Someone kicked dirt on my masterpiece. Someone stomped on my masterpiece. So Jesus said, I had to come down and fix it. Let me give you an example. Make it, make it, try to make it a little bit, draw a picture for you. Imagine a boy who was born, okay, and he's born healthy and active and, and all kinds of good stuff. But because of his family history, the doctor tells his parents when he's like two, three years old, be careful. This boy, given his whatever, shouldn't eat chocolate. If he eats chocolate, could lead to a disease. And that disease could be fatal. So the parents, they try to raise him, no chocolate, whatever, and try to keep him. And the boy's a very active young boy. He plays sports, as, especially as he grows up, junior high, high school, and he likes to play sports. He's very active, outgoing, energetic, gets good grades, class president, valedictorian, like whatever. All the great things that you could imagine. And then he thought to himself, 
Hey, what's the big deal about some chocolate? Some of my other friends eat chocolate. Hey, what's the big deal? And he started eating chocolate. He started eating chocolate. And eventually, it started affecting his life. He noticed himself losing energy, getting weaker. Started having problems like his respiratory system. Couldn't play sports the same way. Goes to the doctor. Doctor checks him out. Says, hey, you didn't by any chance eat chocolate, did you? And the kid gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And the doctor says, I'm sorry. You contracted the disease. And the kid says, no, no, no. I'll stop eating chocolate. I promise I won't eat any more. And the doctor says, okay, that'll stop it from getting worse. But it can't undo what's been done. You have a disease. And the disease, unfortunately, is fatal. It's reached your heart. It's fatal. Now this boy is not just going to die. But he's going to live miserable until he gets to death. Because now he has a problem in his heart. And now, like I said, he used to play sports, can't play sports. Used to get good grades, now he can't. Doesn't have the energy or the ability to, to focus. Can't get good grades. Drops out of school. Ends up losing all his friends because his friends are always having fun. And now he loses his friends. He's lost his success. He's lost his relationships. He's a grumpy, miserable guy. And the father, his heart breaks because this was so avoidable. So the dad does something crazy. Kid goes to sleep one night. And the dad, making this up, of course, opens his heart, pulls his own heart out, opens the boy, and switches the two hearts. And he puts the sick heart inside himself. Now, from the father's perspective, what did he just do? He just wrote himself a death sentence. He just said, I'm going to die. And the father, who previously was healthy, who never ate a piece of chocolate in his life, who never ate a piece of chocolate in his life, had a 100% perfectly healthy heart, took into himself sickness and took into himself disease. And all of a sudden, that dad's life is ruined. Now, he was the one with no energy. He's the one who suffered. He's the one who died way, 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 way too early because he took the sickness into himself. Now, how about the boy? The boy wakes up in the morning. How's the boy feeling? Up and at it. Healthy heart. Back to playing sports. Back to school. Back to friends. Back to popularity. Back to life as I remember it. And I still, now if, uh, with this new heart, I'm still susceptible to the chocolate. And if I eat the chocolate, I'm probably going to go down again. But this time I'm a lot smarter about it. Because I saw what happened, so I'm a lot smarter about the chocolate, and I'm being much, much more mindful of avoiding it. But now, I'm going to live life to the fullest. Y'all know what that story I just painted is? That's the incarnation of Christ. We now are that son who has received, or daughter, who has received the new heart. Because Jesus came down. He didn't just shout out, throw medicine from above the ant farm. He came down. And he said, okay, there's no only way we're going to get this. You go to sleep. And he took out our heart. And he put it in himself. And he lived the most miserable life imaginable from our perspective. Of course, full of joy and full of, he had always had a smile on his face. But the most difficult life, that's what I should say, the most difficult life imaginable. And from the day, that's what I want you to see. It's not when he died on the cross that he was miserable or difficult. It wasn't from when he died on the cross. I actually think that when he died on the cross was the relief because the hard part was living his whole life with the disease inside him, with the sick heart. It was from the moment he took flesh that he put the disease in himself 
that ultimately on the cross is when he was able to escape the disease. Don't say that he loved me because he died for me. He loved you because he was incarnate for you. And he loved you because he lived in this world for you. And he carried your and mine sickness in himself. And he gave us a new life and a new heart so that we could know what it's like to live the right way. There's a nice expression that we say often in the church in a lot of our hymns. It says that he took what is ours so that he could give us what is his. Say that with me. He took what is ours so that he could give us what is his. It's in your handout. Say it again. He took what is ours so that he could give us what is his. He took our disease and he gave us his health. Man, how's that for a Christmas present? How's that for a gift? <clears throat> You're the son. You woke up, new heart. Think of all the dumb things over the next course of the next two days, whether you open presents on the 24th or the 25th. Think of all the dumb gifts that you will receive over the next two days. Sorry, forgive me. The majority of them are worthless. They are things that... that, that Someone else didn't want, okay. Well, I think I'm giving away my own secrets here. The things that other people received as gifts, and they just wrap it up and give it to somebody else. They're worthless. The things you throw away, maybe you use them for a year max, max, then you throw it away. It's junk. It's temporary. It's impractical. It's a tie that says world's greatest dad. Everyone knows that you're not the world's greatest dad, okay. The tie ain't going to make you any better. And here's a gift. Here's a real gift that Jesus is giving us. I give you my healthy heart. You messed up yours. I give you my healthy. Lord, but what am I going to do with the dirty one? I'll take it. That's going to be tough for you, Lord. This heart is like, there's a lot of chocolate in there. He says, that's okay. And like a good daddy takes it with a smile. And of course, pain takes it with a smile. He never even lets on that he would that he regrets his decision. Never lets on that he even thinks twice about his decision. Y'all know the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. I disagree. I think you are the reason for the season. You. And the one who's sitting there today, came to church for the first time today, and however long, or you didn't want to come, and you're just today. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Don't say, yeah, he's talking. No, I'm talking to you. You're the reason for the season. Because if you didn't have a heart problem, you wouldn't be celebrating Christmas. Jesus came because he saw that you were going to live a miserable life. And that you were going to die the ultimate death. And he came down and said, I'll take it. You take what is mine. I'll take what is yours. Last verse. Love this verse. This is Christmas. For we know, for you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That's what I'm saying. He took what is ours so he could give us what is his. He was healthy, we were sick. He was rich, we were poor. He had life, we had death. He took what is ours that he could give us what is his. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And that's why this day when we celebrate Christmas is the most important day ever. Because it's the day 
that all the stuff, all that life, that boy suffering with that heart disease life is the day that he remembers that life no more because I've been given a new life and a chance to really, really live thanks to the gift of God. Let's stand up for a prayer together, please. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, what can we say to thank you for the gift that you have given to us? What can we say, Lord, to thank you for taking our sickness, taking our sin, and giving us your purity and giving us your life? Forgive us, Lord, for neglecting such a great gift of salvation. Forgive us for being so busy with so many things and and never taking the time to reflect on what you've given to us. We're so quick to complain about things. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to really appreciate, really understand, and really live the gift that you have given to us. We thank you, and we want not just to thank you with our, our words, but really our life would be one giant thank you to you, and that we would live this life that you have envisioned for us. Pray for each person, every soul who you brought to church today, and you brought them to hear this message, and plant the message in their hearts, and show them, Lord, how you took what is theirs, you could give them what is yours. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week and have a Merry Christmas. Oh, come all ye.